Please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, and we pick up at the 13th verse. It is still Christmas. Hallelujah. This may be the seventh day of Christmas. I don't know if you count day one. Um, so what do we get today? Lord's leaping, ladies dance, what? But this is still Christmas, and uh, this Christmas text uh, only shows up, this story, the story of the, the wise men only shows up in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we don't read of the wise men today, we read about what happened afterwards. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at the 13th verse. Listen then for the voice of God. When they had gone, the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. There is no gentle way to get at this. There's no easy way in. Babies were killed because Jesus was born. While the little Lord Jesus was asleep on the hay, children were rousted from their beds, wrenched from their parents' arms, and executed by Herod's henchmen. Somewhere amid the cattle lowing and the angels singing is heard the weeping of parents at the murder of their children. Dear friends, there is a dark side to the nativity, an unspeakable horror that we don't quickly tell our children 
or include in the Christmas pageant. It's not easily pondered or proclaimed. It's hard to imagine, hard to talk about, and hard to accept as part of the mystery of how God came to us in Jesus. Maybe that's why this text gets relegated to the Sunday after Christmas. We read it in the backwash after the Christmas crowds have gone home. And this morning, I'm particularly mindful of those who have buried children. The enduring nature of such a loss is beyond what I know or can imagine. But it's at the heart of this text. So what are we to make of the slaughter of the innocents? By the way, nothing. <laughs> I can't imagine anything else that just screeches to stop holiday cheer. What are we to make of the slaughter of the innocents? Do we position it as a piece of the prophetic puzzle? Do we accept it? as the cost of doing business in this cruel world? Do we just sing louder and drown out the cries of children and parents? Or do we dare look, even here, for some hope, for some light for our journey, some hint of God in this world? What are we to make of this terrible text? a little Bible study. The Gospel of Matthew is the most intentionally Jewish of the Gospels. Matthew layers stories with references to the Hebrew Scriptures and links the story of Jesus to the stories of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Ruth. And in that spirit, this morning's text is rich with allusions to Israel's history. For example, the story of King Balak and the prophet Balaam in the book of Numbers. Anyone? But in that story, there is included a frightened king, a wise man from the east, a star signaling a new ruler, an overthrow of power, and a return trip home. Sound familiar? Or Matthew may have been alluding to Moses being hid from, the, from Pharaoh's slaughter of baby boys, only to rise up later and lead God's people out of Egyptian captivity. Or maybe readers are to be reminded of Moses fleeing Pharaoh and staying away until God told him it was safe to return. Again, sound familiar? Matthew tells the story of Jesus against the backdrop of Hebrew history. And in our text, there's reference to Rachel. You may remember Rachel. Rachel was Laban's pretty daughter. 
She stole Jacob's heart, and he worked seven years for her hand, only to be tricked, when the lights were low, into marrying Leah, Laban's plain daughter. So Jacob worked another seven long years to get the girl he wanted in the first place. But as it turns out, Rachel had a hard time conceiving while Leah was birthing boys right and left. Rachel pleaded with God, and she finally gave birth to Joseph, only to die giving birth to her second son, after giving birth to her second son, who she named Ben-Anoi, which means son of my sorrow. That proved to be too much for Jacob, and he later renames him as Benjamin. So the 12 tribes of Israel come from Rachel and Leah. And in Jewish, Jewish lore, Rachel was buried near Bethlehem along the road where the Israelites were carried off into Babylonian captivity. And years later, the prophet Jeremiah recalls Rachel's inconsolable sorrow as if she were still crying from her grave for her children, the people of Israel. So Matthew weaves into the gospel, quoting Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, there's still more, but you get the point. As Moses writes the nativity story, he's not just writing about Jesus. He's writing a multi-layered reminder of how God works in and through history. Matthew is layering loss and longing and liberation and he places the coming of Jesus as the culmination of God's acting in human history. The birth of Jesus is part of this woven whole. But what then of the dead babies? Are they just threads of a biblical tapestry? Still with me? <laughs> it should be noted that there are no other records of the massacre of children in Bethlehem. It's not mentioned again in the New Testament. And while the historian Josephus reports that Herod ordered the execution of his own wife and sons, not a good dude, and decreed that at his own death, the leading citizens of Jericho should also be slain so that the nation would mourn appropriately. Yikes. But Josephus says nothing about the killing of baby boys in Bethlehem. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. 
Herod could have ordered such a thing and the slaughter of the children of a small village might have gone unrecorded. A common number suggested by historians is that 20 to 30 children would have been killed, not hundreds or thousands. As if a smaller number is any better. Tell that to the parent who lost a child. So what are we to make of it? What are we to make of it? Try this. Gun violence recently surpassed car crashes as the leading cause of death for American children. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 3,597 children died by gunfire in 2021. And while last year's count is incomplete, it's clear that the carnage has not declined. 2022 marked the 10-year anniversary of the school shooting in Sandy Hook. But while school shootings are a recurring horror, they actually account for less than 1% of all these gun deaths. Gun accidents account for only a few hundred a year. Homicides and suicides make up the vast majority. Now I've been, because of time in Roseland, I've been to too many funerals for killed children. I sat with parents who were so shattered that they couldn't lift their heads to look at the casket. And I spoke at the funeral of a father who died of a broken heart. Two weeks after his only son was shot and killed, he died because his heart couldn't bear the grief. Our text has it that Rachel wouldn't or couldn't be comforted. The loss, unspeakable. The grief, inconsolable. And yet, dear friends, the unbearable, unabashed claim of the Gospels is that God came in our flesh into this world, not into a world of nativity snow globes and shiny happy people and naive spirituality, but into the world of gun violence and tyrants who kill babies and parents who can't be consoled. If the incarnation has any meaning at all, then God came into the darkest realities of this world. Stanley Hauerhaus puts it this way. Perhaps no event in the gospel more determinatively challenges the sentimental depictions of Christmas than the death of these children. Jesus is born into a world in which children are killed and continue to be killed 
to protect the power of tyrants. Herod's threatened by a baby. So he orders all babies killed. There's one in diapers who's a threat to the throne, a threat to power, a threat to the ways of the world. And that mysterious threat at the very birth of Jesus inaugurates the clash, the struggle between the power of evil and the power of love, between the power of darkness and the power of light, between the power of the world and the power of God. And the shadow of the cross stretches to even the cradle as Jesus is set on a collision course with death. And so the way of God is through the very hell of the death of a child. And while that may not explain or excuse the murder of the baby boys in Bethlehem, it doesn't ignore it or skirt it either. Henry James, novelist, man of letters, wrote this. I'm thinking about the clash, the struggle here. Life is, in fact, a battle. Evil is insolent and strong, beauty enchanting but rare. Goodness very apt to be weak, folly very apt to be defiant, wickedness to carry the day, imbeciles to be in great places. People of sense to be in small, and mankind generally unhappy. But the world as it stands is no illusion, no phantasm, no evil dream of a night. We wake up to it again and again forever and ever, and we can never forget it, nor deny it, nor dispense with it. Dear friends, the mystery of Christmas is that Jesus was born into the world as it stands. No illusion, no phantasm, no dream in the night. But the world to which we awake again and again, the world of school shootings, terrorist bombings, emperors who feel threatened, and parents who bury children, and every desperate, despairing moment that we face. The world in which Rachel weeps. God doesn't rise above, whisk us away, or shrug off this world, but from cradle to cross, he enters in, shares, carries, and bears our pain. He heals, weeps, and wipes away the last tear. And ultimately, the mercy of God and love beyond measure will win the struggle. And so this morning we come to the table and we find here memory and hope. The comfort of God with us in this hard world. Merry Christmas. Thanks be to God. Amen.